We're going to be in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Today we're going to continue talking about God's dream. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm to the point in my life, in my ministry, where I'm kind of done dreaming my dreams. And, uh, and I imagine there's a lot of us in this room who are kind of feeling the same way. Uh, I've dreamed dreams in my life. Few of them have ever turned out the way that I wanted them to turn out. Uh, I heard a great quote this week, and that was uh, made me laugh really hard. I'm, um, and maybe it's because I just crossed into you know the I'm now on the downhill slope of my 30s, and 40 is looming, you know, and um, and I'm starting to see that that it's like looming, like a like you know kind of like when you're driving across the desert and you see a monolith in the distance. Uh, I'm starting to see the monolith of 40 in my distance, and um, so I heard a great quote this week, and and the quote was that. Um, this, this guy who was speaking, he said that, that he thinks that, that basically what midlife crises, mid-life crises are is uh, up to the point of the middle of your life, you lived with this expectation of what could be. Then you get to the top of the hill and you see that what's on the other side is it's just the other side. And it looks not that much different than what you've been doing your whole life. And, and that gets depressing. And in fact, uh, uh, the old children's song, the bear went over the mountain to see what he would see. Remember that song? When he, when he gets to the top, all, all he sees is the other side of the mountain. And it's a lesson in futility, you know, to some degree. Our lives are vapor. And I think as we get older, we start to see how, how much that's actually true. And we really struggle to understand. And so we want to dream a dream that's outside of ourselves because if we're just dreaming dreams that are within us or what we can accomplish or pull off on our own, then we're dreaming something that's not going to have any lasting value. It will burn up with this world. And so, you know, that's why we have the picture of the woman looking across the chasm and, and just this expanse. What's God's dream? Well, we see a God-sized dream through the ministry of Jesus because God's dream, we know, is to take this broken world and to restore it back to what God had intended before the tree in the Garden of Eden became a problem for us. Before we made a choice to eat the fruit and reject the goodness of God, humanity was pronounced by the Lord as very good. God said, you are very good. And we doubted him, and that caused us to fall away from his grace. But Jesus wants us back to that place, and that's why he came. And the God-sized dream is that you and me and all of our friends and family and neighbors and our entire city and our entire nation and the entire world could be restored back to the condition it was in before sin entered the world. And I, I think God's, he actually means that, right? The scripture says when he forgives us, it's, he forgives us, as, our sins are taken from us as far as the east is from the west. So what does that mean? That, that our sin is so far removed from us that if we're restored in Christ, we actually are more similar to the pre-garden condition of man than we are the current condition of man. That's kind of amazing. Like even me and my brokenness right now, and I'm still wrestling through brokenness just as much as you are or anybody else in this world. I'm a mess, okay? I may be a holy mess, but I'm a mess, okay? And God is still working on me, and God is still working on you. But, but I know that because the righteousness of Christ has been put on me as new clothing, fresh clothes, that I am closer to the pre 
garden or the pre-sin condition of humanity than I am to the current fallen condition of humanity because my righteousness in Christ is actually a reality that exists. It's not only a future thing that I attain to. And I think a lot of our issues come back to issues of, of what is righteousness, what does that even mean? And we're going to see a lot of what it looks like through Jesus and his resistance of the devil here. And we'll get two more of that here in a minute. But before we go there, we've, you guys know by now I'm a nerd, okay? I can't hide it from you. So we've got to talk about the Lord of the Rings, okay, for a minute. Um, so one of my favorite scenes in the movie and in the book, by the way, because if you're a real nerd, you've read the book and watched the movie, okay? Um, Fellowship of the Ring, the first, the first book, first movie. One of my favorite scenes is when Bilbo Baggins has to give up the ring to Gandalf. Oh, man, yeah, it's creepy because, you know, we'd seen the Gollum and how weird he was and all decrepit and, and he, like, now, the weird thing about the Gollum, if you don't under, know all about the Lord of the Rings and if you don't remember this, he was actually just a hobbit, just like Bilbo and Frodo and Sam and all, who got so corrupted and twisted by the ring of power, uh, the one ring to rule them all that now Bilbo has, but that actually then Frodo, never mind, anyways, but I won't go into the whole story, but, uh, but that, that Bilbo has at that point in the movie, that he'd been so corrupted and twisted by it that he was no longer even really recognizable as a person. And in that scene, when Gandalf asks Bilbo, he says, are you going to leave that ring here? And, and Bilbo says, well, yes, of course, it must go to Frodo. It, 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 it should go to Frodo, and I need to leave it. Then he hides it in his pocket. And he tries to walk out, and Gandalf says, Bilbo, <laughs> I love it. And he stops, and he, yes, and, and, he, uh, and he says, the ring's still in your pocket. <laughs> and he has to come back, but, but when the moment comes for him to actually take it out and hand it over, he changes. His personality changes. He starts saying, it's mine. It's my precious. This ring is, and he starts to sound like the golem. And Gandalf does this really cool thing in the movie where, he, where you know, like, like uh, he, the, he says he's not a conjurer of cheap tricks, but that's what he does is cheap tricks. And, uh, and the room changes and like this force, you know, the weight of this powerful angelic figure, which is, by the way, what Gandalf was designed to represent by Tolkien, was an angel. Anyway, long story uh, to get to there, but, but the reality is then, then this, this little guy realizes that there's a problem, there's someone who's stronger than him who is there, and he says to him, I'm not here to hurt you, I'm here to help you, and he finally gives up the ring and he leaves. And, uh, well, anyway, that's, that's, uh, that's a shortened version of the actual story, but the whole idea here, and uh, Tolkien designed that book to point us to something real, you guys realize Tolkien was a believer? A lot, of people don't, a lot of people don't know. They think of him as this great English professor. He was a believer. In fact, Tolkien is the one who led C.S. Lewis to the Lord. I always think that's so cool. And uh, they were both incredible writers. Both, you know, they were, um, they were fellows at Oxford. But, but Tolkien understood the state of humanity. And that ring of power, particularly the one ring to rule them all, actually represents all of us whenever we are embracing what sin can give us. Interesting thing about that story, if you look at Bilbo Baggins, the, uh, the ring, it really did something for him, right? He was a nobody, and he became this great 
hero. If you've ever read, you know, read The Hobbit first if you really want to get the whole story. But, um, but, but he was a nobody. He put this ring on. All of a sudden, he was a somebody. He was powerful. It brought him strength and might, and it brought him all these things, and then wealth. And, he, you know, he, uh, I love the VeggieTales version where he, like, you know, was able to, like, create a toaster from it or something. There's, there's all these things that happen because of this ring, and they seem good. And yet there was some part of his soul that was demanded by this ring that was being dominated. Reason being, that ring was under the control of an evil dark lord who represents the devil. But in the same way, sin is a lot like one of those rings. It may seem like it gives you something at the time. It may seem like it adds to your life at the time. You start to feel like you're fulfilled and, 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 and you're, you're happy and you're, you're chasing after your dreams and all these things. But it will demand your soul in exchange. I want to give you a definition of sin I I thought was really good. This is from Dr. Tim Keller. He says, sin is building your identity, finding your greatest meaning, significance, and security on something besides God. Everyone centers his or her life on something, and whatever that is becomes by definition and function your God, something you adore and serve with your whole heart, and your Savior, something you have to have in order to feel spiritually and emotionally significant and meaningful. So even the significantly most, uh, the, the seemingly most non-religious people are living lives of worship, working for their salvation, through not express, though not expressing it so to themselves. Everybody, everybody understands this idea of sin, whether we can express it or not. But the Bible, uh, uh, the word in the Bible, really, if you go back to the, the original meaning in Hebrew, it just means missing the mark. You know, it's like, it's like if you shoot an arrow and uh, you can't hit the target. So every time we miss the mark, we've sinned. But ultimately, what's the mark? The mark is the holiness of God. But even in this world, because we've moved, we've ran away, we've run away from the holiness of God. Most people won't want to acknowledge the holiness of God as our mark. So then we've made society our mark. So then what is sin? Not reaching up to societal standards, not buying into the societal narrative, not being a part of the right political party. We could go on. <laughs> but understand that, that, if, that, that sin in the culture Essentially is that. So, so the problem is, not only can we not live up to God's standard, now we've set, us, we've set a lower standard, culture, and we can't even live up to that standard, and we're a wreck. Because I, I will set up even my own standards in my life, and I realize that I can't even live up to my own standards, thus the midlife crisis. <laughs> you know, my life isn't what I thought it was going to be. That's a real bummer unless you believe that you are a child of God and that your future is to be in the kingdom and the holy city. I mean, you don't need a bucket list when you know you're going to live eternity with Jesus, you know? <laughs> you're not going to miss out on an experience in Christ if you actually believe that. The problem is so many of us are living like this is all we have because that's what we really believe in our hearts. And so for us, sin is not living up to whatever expectations we've set for ourselves. But our bigger problem, of course, is that we have, because we've, because we've chosen to build our identity on earthly things rather than on God... It creates a whole new spiral for us because um, let's just say that the world and material things and the devil are not nearly as kind of masters as Father God.
Righteousness, when we talk about righteousness, that's a word that's hard for us to understand because I think there's so many definitions of that word. But I've been doing some study on this over the past couple of weeks because I, 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 I observed that a lot of what's going on, the, the battle between Jesus and the devil here is really about righteousness. And righteousness, if you look at the biblical concept, it's not so much about moral purity. And that's oftentimes what we think of when we hear the word. We think, well, I'm righteous because I'm morally pure. And see, because we want to make it into something that we can somehow attain to. That's kind of the nature of humanity. We, 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 ever since the Garden of Eden, we, we said, you know, well, God said, don't do this. But the devil said, well, if you do that, you can get it for yourself. Right? God said, if you trust me and don't eat that fruit because, I, because I'm telling you what's best for you is not to do that then you're going to be righteous. Why? Because God declared it to be so. He said to Adam and Eve, you are very good, didn't he? You were very good. That was God's declaration. Very good. But the devil says, no, 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 no. You need this over here in order to be really good. So to be truly righteous, to be truly accepted and good and, you know, all those things, you need to reach out and grab this for yourself. Start building your own life. Don't listen to God. You've got to do your own thing, man. You've got to do you. You've got to do you, bro. Anybody hear that? <laughs> That's all over our culture today. I think I saw it on Twitter like at least 10 times this week. Like, I got to do me. Like, what does that even mean, man? You know? But that's what we say. It means I got to do my own thing. I got to, you know, I got I to be like Frank Sinatra and do it my way, you know? Or like Stevie Nicks. She went her own way. I mean, there's all these things in pop culture where we see, you know, this is what you got to do. You got to build yourself. And that's been the struggle ever since the beginning. Righteousness is not so much about mere moral purity as it is about acceptance. Acceptance in the club, right? We were accepted by God, declared good, therefore we were righteous. We were in a right standing with him. When we make it about moral purity, we make it more about us. We think, boy, if I could just put everything together, then I'd be righteous. And that's the world standard of it. But the Bible says, no, 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 righteousness is about being in right relationship with your Father. And righteousness can only be declared. It cannot be earned. So we find ourselves literally trading our souls in order to try to gain ground in this world to find a place where we're accepted or righteous before somebody. Whether it's ourselves or whether it's people around us who are who, you know, who we want to be accepted by, or whether it's the culture or society. That's why I think a lot of our churches even are struggling, because we've made the mark being accepted by the culture rather than preaching the gospel. Right? When we, when we, when we decide the main thing is attracting people rather than honoring our Father, what have we done? We're, we've missed the mark. Not to say, not, that's not to say that we shouldn't do things to try and relate to the culture or, or try to, to build our ministry in such a way that we relate to people, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is, are we being faithful to the mission that we've been given, but to the word that we've been given by our Father in heaven? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus uh, questioned us saying, what does it benefit a person to gain the world but to lose his soul? Right? Mark chapter 8 in fact, he says that if anyone wants to be his follower, we must take up our cross, deny ourselves, come after him. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will find it. It's the opposite of what the world thinks. The world thinks if I go out and grab it and try to build my life, build myself, build my identity, build my brand, 
then I'm going to have it. And Jesus says, no, you need to kill your brand and take on mine. And only then will you be free. See, what we don't understand is we were actually more free before we ate the fruit in the garden than we are now. Because there we were, we were in right standing with our Father, and our souls were free to be the people we were created to be. So um, I hope I've established, I hope we've established together that we've got some problems that we need to work through. But the good thing is Jesus is the solution. And he has both overcome for us and he's shown us how to be overcomers. And that's what we're going to look at, look at from the Gospel of Luke today. In fact, we're going to see three key areas where Jesus was tempted by the devil. And we're going to see how he overcame those things. And we're going to talk about what that means for us. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 4. And we will read together the word of the Lord. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he endured temptation. Uh, let's see, sorry, temptations from the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were completed, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him to a high place and showed him in a flash all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, To you I will grant this whole realm and the glory that goes along with it, for it has been relinquished to me, and I can give it to anyone I wish. So then, if you will worship me, this, all this will be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You are to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil brought him to, the, to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And with their hands, they will lift you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, answered him, It is said, You are not to put the Lord your God to the test. So when the devil had completed every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. That had to be a bummer moment for the devil. You know what I mean? Because like, how could there be a more opportune time? He just fasted for 40 days and he still couldn't get through to Jesus. But there are three key areas here that we see Jesus being tempted. One is in the area of physical needs. The second is in the area of glory and power. And the third is in the area of rec recognition. Now, I, th I think this is fascinating because I, I, would, I would say that these are three very common areas of temptation in the human life. In fact, I would, I would imagine that, that everyone here has experienced temptation in these areas at some point or another. You ever had a time in your life where you just felt like you didn't have enough money or uh, enough food? Or, right? Most of us have. If you're raising children, you frequently go to the pantry and go, where did all, what happened? Where did it go? And you wonder, how am I going to feed the family if they already ate it all? Um, and uh, you, we have these moments where we're kind of at the end of our rope physically, and we just really need something that will to take care of us, and we don't know where it's going to come from. We've had some moments like that as a church over the past year. Uh, we, we, uh, when we were wondering recently, God, how are we going to finish our project upstairs? The, the money is getting a little thin, Father. And 
You know what happened? Our electrician calls and says, I'm donating my work to you. $12,000 worth. Boom. Now, we, we, we earnestly prayed. Am I right? I expect, Dwight and Richard, did we earnestly pray? <laughs> we spent a lot of time in earnest prayer. Father, how are we going to do this? this? We did. But it was beyond us, wasn't it? It was beyond us. We needed, we needed God to come through, and God came through. Uh, but I think the temptation for a lot of us, probably all of us at some time or another, is when we see that we have a need, our first thing is, I, I got to go get it. I got to go earn, figure out a way to, to, to get this, to earn this. Now, Jesus was super hungry, and the devil came tempting him. You can imagine if you haven't eaten any food for 40 days, what you're going to feel like, right? I mean, we talk about hangry. Uh, okay, that's a word people use, hangry. It's a mixture between hungry and angry. All right, that's how you're going to feel. You're going to be hangry at that moment. You want something. You know, you're going to, like, even... Even McDonald's is going to sound good. You know, and I mean, I mean you, like, the, 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 the thing that, the worst thing that you don't like to eat, that sometimes you eat, is going to sound good <laughs> to you at that moment. Like, you would be craving Spam and Vienna sausages. Some, some people just like that. So, not, not judging. I mean, that's fine. But, uh, I mean, if I'm honest, I kind of like corned beef, and it's not that much different. So, uh, but... But the thing that you least like to eat, you would be, you would love to have in that moment. And the devil knew he had Jesus vulnerable in that moment. And he, and he said, why don't you reach out and take it for yourself? After all, you're the son of God. You can, you can turn that stone over there into bread. Now, how'd the devil know that? Well, because he was there when Jesus spoke everything into existence in the first place. Right? Colossians says that through him all things were made. Christ is the one. He was the, the person of the Godhead who spoke. He's the word, right? The living word of God, as John tells us. And everything came into existence. So you're telling me the living word of God couldn't walk over to a rock and be like, bread, boom. It'd be the best bread you ever had, man. We're talking about the same guy who turned water into wine, the best wine. He could do it. He had the capacity. Why didn't he? Because it was not the Father's will for him to do so. And he was fully submitted to his Father. And so what did he say? He says, he, I love how he uses Scripture to battle the devil. That's a lesson we could all learn, isn't it? To have more Scripture in here so that when we have these power struggles with the devil, we can say, hey, devil, you be quiet because the Lord has said something else. I think that's some of what Jesus said, by, or what Paul said when he wrote to us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're trying to replace the lies of the devil with the truth of God. So Jesus shuts the devil up because he quotes Scripture. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus was really hungry, and he resisted. Our father Adam had all the food he could ever want, and yet he went for the one food that was forbidden. Do you see how Jesus is the reversal of Adam? Jesus had, look, he had reason to want to eat. It had been 40 days. Adam and Eve were surrounded by abundance, and yet they went to the one thing that God said don't eat. You see how Jesus is reversing the curse here? We have to remember that it's not only the death of Christ that saves us, it's also his life because his his obedience to the Father is what unlocked the key so that he could be holy, so that he could take the penalty for sin for us. So 
Christ is living out the life that we are supposed to live, but we never have been able to. He is actually doing what Adam was supposed to do. Like Adam in the garden was supposed to tell the devil, you get out of here. God said we could eat of all these other trees. He just said that we're not supposed to eat from this one, and we trust him. That's what they should have said. That's not what they did. Jesus, on the other hand, did exactly what Adam should have done. And he did so under a lot more pressure. Like our first father, Adam, our tendency is to fret and strive after what we need rather than trusting in the Father and seeking Him. We struggle with that. But Christ has overcome in our place. It's good to know. The second thing, uh, the, the area of glory and power. Jesus knew His true place, right? He knew who He was. He knew He was the Son of God. In fact, he, he, we just talked about this last week. The Father came down on him. And, you know, the Spirit came down, or the, the Spirit came down in the form of, the, of a dove, and the Father spoke and said, this is my beloved Son. If Jesus had any doubts, by that point, he had no doubts. And I, I kind of think he didn't have any doubts. But, but, hey, he was fully human, so, you know, there could have been moments where he, where he was thinking, Father, uh, am I really who I think I am? <laughs> you never know. Um, but the Father had fully affirmed who he was. Fully affirmed. He knew. Not only did he know it in his heart, but it had been declared and it had been clearly shown. So he knew. And he knew that his place was perfectly secure in the Father. So the devil, though, tried to reach out to him and say, Hey, listen, Jesus, you know who you are. You're the Son of God. Why don't you just take your glory? Take your power. It's rightfully yours anyway. Actually, the devil said, Hey, listen, it's mine. The Father gave it to me. So you can just come over here and worship me. I'm going to give you all my stuff. But Jesus knew who he was, and he knew his place was secure in the Father. And so, of course, he looks at the devil, and he says, You are to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, saying to the devil, Hey, not the proper timing, devil. This is, yeah, did Jesus have glory and power? Absolutely, Jesus had glory and power. But it wasn't his time to reach out and seize it. He was waiting to be glorified by the Father. Adam, our first father, was declared good by the Father. He had his position with the Father as regent of this world alongside of the Father. Understand that God created Adam to rule. He created Adam to rule and reign. He was designed to steward God's kingdom on earth. And that hasn't changed for us as humans either, by the way. We are still called by God to rule and reign alongside the Father. It's just that we're so messy with sin that it isn't going very well. We're having some problems around here. But even though Adam had this security in the Father and, 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 the, and, and, and knew the Father was, was working with him and bringing him along, the Father had never done anything but show him good. Rather than trusting God, Adam reached out and tried to take what he wanted for himself. He just reached out and tried to take it. And the devil encouraged him. The devil is a great cheerleader, by the way. If you don't know this yet, you will. 
The devil's a great cheerleader. He's really good at coming along. And, 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 and we have this idea that makes perfect sense, and he's good at saying, yeah, do that. Man, that was a good idea. Stroke of genius even. When the father's over here saying, slow down and wait. Remember what he says through Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It's not those who reach out and take it for themselves who have their strength renewed. It's those who wait upon the Lord. And Jesus knew that. But Adam, Adam, rather than believing in God, he reached out and tried to take it for himself. And like our first father, Adam, we, we tend to try and make the life that we desire for ourselves rather than trusting in God to bring us to the place that he has prepared for us, don't we? That's a struggle for me. I know it's a struggle for you. We see something that we want or, or, or we, we see some lifestyle that we desire and we, we think, man, I really want that. And instead of just like going to the Father and be like, hey, Father, is this something you, you want for me? Um, and if it is, would you reveal it? And we, we seek him and, 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 and pursue him. A lot of times we just reach out there and say, I got to get, get my glory. I got to get my power. I got to get the stuff I want now rather than trusting in him. But Jesus resisted this temptation. And he realized that it was actually a temptation of idolatry. Same is true for us. We tend to make idols, objects of worship, out of all, all kinds of things in this world. Things that aren't God. And we elevate them to the place of God in our lives. Whether it's relationships or whether it's you know uh, celebrities or whether it's Wealth, cars, lifestyle choices, they, we, we tend to idolize these things. And, and, and then we get to this place like, like in that definition of sin that we, that we read from Dr. Keller, where it's like our life depends on getting that thing. Which again explains the midlife crisis, because we didn't get it yet. And we're halfway through. And our, we're, we're passing our prime, and how are we going to get it now? And then we get depressed. Only in Jesus can we be victorious and be brought to the position in the kingdom we were actually created for. Think about it. We were, we were created to rule a heavenly kingdom. We were. A heavenly kingdom on earth with God. And then this is a great question. Why then would we settle for a perishable one? That's what the devil offers us. He offers us shiny things. He's like, hey, look, this is really pretty. Hey, I'll make you rich. Hey, I'll, I'll make sure you get that house you always dreamed of. The one with the, in, in the Country Living magazine with the white picket fence and the horses. I'll give you the stuff you want if you'll just worship me, bow down to me. And you may say, well, I've never bowed down to the devil. Anytime you bow down to human nature... You bow down to the devil. Because the one who's declared over us now is not God, it's the devil. Whereas God declared over us adequacy and acceptance, the devil has declared over us inadequacy. And we now feel that we have to strive in order to be right. We've got to add things to ourselves because we have a shattered reality in the devil and in our first father, Adam. And we realize it deep down inside, and now all we're trying to do is fill in the gaps. But it's not working. 
And at some point, what we're, real, what we're going to realize is the kingdom the devil offered us is going to go up in smoke. Everything the devil can offer, offer us is perishable because his rule and reign is perishable. The day is going to come when the Father is going to speak. In fact, Christ is going to speak. In fact, Revelation tells us Christ is going to come on a, on a white horse and he's going to open his mouth up and it's going to be like a sword and his word is going to demolish anything that is in opposition to the righteous glory of the Father. And the only way that we can be in a position where we are not sucked up with the imperishable, with the, with the perishable kingdom of the devil is if we've been set right with God through Christ and we are now with Him in the imperishable kingdom. So along with this delayed, delayed gratification often leads us to truer gratification. <laughs> Instead of just reaching out and grabbing everything that we want, we wait for the Lord. Instead of making our lives about building a kingdom for ourselves here on this side of eternity, we give ourselves over to the kingdom of God. And we know our place in Christ is secure if we're in Christ. And, and the last thing that he tempts Jesus with here is recognition. That, that, uh, that's something I feel like we deal with a lot lately. And you may read that, that statement there and say, what, what do you mean recognition? But, um, but, but the devil essentially says, hey, you're the son of God. Throw yourself off this building and the angels are going to come because the Bible says, <laughs> I love it how the devil's like, the Bible says, uh, the Bible says that, that he will give his angels charge concerning you. So he, you throw yourself off this temple. There's all these people down there. They're going to see the angels grab a hold of you. And you're going to be recognized for who you really are. I can't tell you how many times I've faced that temptation in my life where the devil said, don't you want to be known? Don't you want to have a legacy? Don't you want to be YouTube famous and go viral or become a meme or something? <laughs> you know, like... Young people, you feel me, you know? But like, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe some of us don't care so much about that. But guys, I really want to go viral someday, at least once, you know, one video, you know? Um, and I don't mean like the flu. I'm talking like viral on the internet where that's where everybody sees your video, okay? Um, so, <laughs> but, but that's, that's a real thing. And like the devil's like, the devil will come and say, hey, if you would just like, I've heard the devil say, hey, if you would just like, pull your punches a little bit with the message that you preach, maybe you'd be a little more popular. Maybe if you watered the gospel down just a little bit, people be, you'd be more tolerable. You'd draw more people or, or people would, you know, listen to your podcast or whatever. You ever heard that voice? And maybe not the exact same voice that I hear because, I mean, obviously I'm a preacher, so like my, <laughs> I'm going to hear it from a different angle, but we, I think we all hear that at times like, we want recognition. We want people to notice us. We want to leave a legacy. We, we, we don't want to realize the truth that within two generations, people are going to forget that we even existed. We don't like that idea. So we like to make a big name for ourselves, make it into the history textbooks or something. The devil knew that if people really knew who Jesus was, that they would be forced to worship him now, but... Jesus knew that if he were seeking the recognition that was actually his, but if he sought it without enduring the cross, that would mean that people would see him for who he is, 
but, he can, but, but all those people who saw him for who he is could never be saved. Because if he didn't go through the suffering, there was no way that we could be restored. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't think I've ever made a decision that carried as much weight as what Jesus made here. Because if he were to do this, he would completely derail the Father's plan to redeem the world. Jesus knew that even if no one else believed in him, this is really important, so hear this. Jesus knew that even if no one else believed in him, his Father did, and that was enough. I don't need this world to believe in me. You don't need this world to believe in you. And we don't need this world to notice us. You know why? Because we're noticed by our Father in heaven. And He cares deeply for you and me. You know, we may come into this place and feel like we're a little insignificant speck in this world. I mean, I remember one of my pastors used to always say, one of my pastors growing up used to always say, hey, we're not a little church, we're a mighty army. I loved that because, you know why? He realized we were only a small cell and the, the, the kingdom is so much bigger than us, but more important than the kingdom is the God of the kingdom. You know what I mean? And if he knows who you are, listen, you're good. And Jesus knew that even the devil offering all these great things to him, it was lame sauce compared to what the Father had for him. It was worth nothing compared to the Father's recognition of him as a dearly loved son. And I want to encourage you with something that just like Christ is dearly loved son, that if you're in Christ, you too are dearly loved son in, your, in the Father. Son or daughter, by the way. It's not only for boys. Um, <laughs> God always planned for Adam to be at his side, our first father. He intended to, to, to glorify Adam more and more as Adam grew in, in, in grace. Right? I, I 100% believe that was God's intention. He wanted Adam to grow up to become what Jesus showed us people were supposed to be like. But because Adam reached out to try to grab his own glory, it derailed everything for him. And rather than trusting in God, he began striving after what he thought he had coming to him. And this ultimately destroyed him and the entirety of humanity after him. You see how reaching out to try and grab it for ourselves rather than trusting in God even though that seems like the right thing to do in the moment, actually completely derails everything good for us. So like our first father, Adam, we are often obsessed with this thing, this recognition, this, this, um, the idea of a humble, unrecognized existence is really difficult for a lot of us to swallow. And even if your, your aspirations aren't like widespread fame, like you're, you're not like, I want to be the next Audrey Hepburn or something like that. Uh, even if that's not your, your aspiration, most people at least want a good reputation in their community or to be well-known where they live. This is a struggle for us as humans. But Jesus, though he deserved to be recognized, this is, again, opposite, right? Jesus deserved to be recognized, and yet he chose to live humbly. He only desired the recognition and love of the Father, and he knew that it was the Father who validated him and not the opinions of other people. So apart from Christ, we're doomed to repeat Adam's mistakes. But Christ shows us that 
he shows us what God intended for humanity. And that was that we would be overcomers of sin. Overcomers of the devil's temptation. How do we know that? Because we know that Christ is the ultimate man. The Bible calls him the new Adam. Why? Because he was called by God to be what Adam was supposed to be but failed to be. And only God could do it, right? We know that only God. Isaiah, remember we mentioned this last week, Isaiah said that the Lord looked out and he saw all the injustice. He couldn't stand it, but he also saw there was no one who could, who could bring salvation. So Isaiah says his own arm brought him salvation. God himself had to do it. Only God could do it. In fact, only God could take the wrath of God and survive. No one else could do it. So what was the only possibility? Well, the only possibility was that 2,000 years ago, God would take the form of a, of a human being by being born in the most humble place possible and placed in a manger and raised by human parents and lived a life much like the rest of us, but always holy and good and, and never sinning, never once missing the mark, always doing the right thing. And he deserved the righteous, he was righteous, and he deserved the love of the Father. And yet, what did he receive? He, re, he received God's wrath because God poured his wrath on him in our place. Jesus took the wrath that we deserve so that he could then raise us up to the place of righteousness with the Father. So that we can, like him, oppose the devil and all of his lies that try to take us back down the old path. So, God's dream for you and for me is that we would, through faith in Jesus Christ, become what he intended for us to be. And, and then, when we have become that, that new creation, that we would learn to oppose the devil in his schemes by faith in Jesus. And I want to encourage you again. God wants this for you. He wants this for you. And, and I also want to, want, to, want to say this is kind of a, I want to connect the, the illustration I used from the Lord of the Rings. It's, 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 it's taken off the ring, right? It's taken off the ring and putting it in God's hands. Say, Lord, look, this sin, I kind of like it, but I trust you. And we're taking it off, and we're going to hand it over to him and say, look, I just want to wanna honor you. I'm trusting you. I'm doing what Adam didn't, but what Christ has shown me is possible in him. So that's, that's it. That's, that's the importance of this. What Adam couldn't do, Christ did. And what you can't do in Adam you can do in Christ. Consider how you need to practice these things today and throughout the week. Um, look for places where you're trusting in yourself or the world's definition of you rather than God's. And, and, and let's seek the Lord and let him bring us into alignment with who he's called us to be. You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you, or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. 
We can't wait to hear from you.